History Matters community. This is Charmaine, and we have a very special announcement for Black History Month. Yes. Hello, everyone. This is Ricky. And for Black History Month, we are releasing um, very special Her Stories that will focus on history through the Black lens. These stories will focus on phenomenal Black women who did um, astounding accomplishments in the in in history and made history for themselves and for Black women and women of color and women at large. So be sure to stay tuned for our very special Black History Month Her Story episode. Hi, everyone. This is Charmaine. Welcome to our very special Black History Month series about Her Stories. And today's episode is focusing on Madam C.J. Walker. Yes. Hello, everyone. This is Ricky, and we are excited to discuss the life of Madam C.J. Walker. Um, We're going to be looking at both her life, which is um, a lot of the accounts is based on um, the book that her daughter wrote, um, and we will link that book um, in our resources page. But we're also going to focus on the accounts of her life, but also the depiction of her life through the Netflix series, Self Made, inspired by the life of Madam C.J. Walker. If you haven't seen that series, I highly recommend it. Um, it's it's a really great series. I think it's only like four episodes. It's really great. It gives you kind of a glimpse into um, the life of Madam C.J. Walker. And This series was actually inspired by the book, like I said before, written by her daughter called On Her Own Ground. So we're going to look at both. Um, We're going to look at both the Netflix series and her life and accounts of her life. So to start off, we're going to start with a little bio of who Madam C.J. Walker is. So she was born Sarah Brelove in 1867, and she is the first in her family to be born free. Um, among the recently freed slaves. Um, That in itself is monumental um, because as we all know, like slavery existed, it happened. And so for her to be the first of her family to be uh, freed is monumental. Um, Not only to this, but she is the first black woman millionaire in America. She is the first black woman to ever become a millionaire. So that is also monumental. Like we see this shift from her being Um, coming from a family of slaves to like being a millionaire. So that speaks the volumes for the accomplishments in her life. Um, She created a haircut line out of her own personal necessity, but also wanted to help other Black women suffering from similar concerns. Um, Because during that time period, there weren't a lot of products for Black women in their hair. Um, As we know, hair textures is completely different. We're actually going to be teasing our hair politics episode where we talk more about the politics of hair and and women of color and Black hair and what that looks like compared to the westernized Eurocentric dominant narrative of quote-unquote good hair. Um, I thought it was also interesting. There's a really great article that I found that kind of discusses, um, it's on bustle.com. We'll link it, of course, on our resources page that discusses kind of the different, it, it looks at the compare and contrast between the Netflix series and the book that her daughter wrote. And I thought it was interesting that the show kind of doesn't talk a whole lot about her philanthropy work and 
I think it's important to kind of point out like her political outreach and like a lot of the work that she did. For example, um, Walker contributed to the YMCA and covered tuition for numerous students um, at Washington Tus Tuskegee Institute and also became active in the anti-lynching movement. She, she was very active in anti-lynching movement and speaking out against hate crimes against um, African-Americans, Black Americans. But she also donated $5,000 to NAACP, which I think also speaks volumes to her work. The NAACP would later like rise to become major, major um, foundational stones for African-American people, especially during the civil rights era um, and even now during the Black Lives Matter era. So I think it's important to note her foundational philanthropy work because it speaks volumes for a lot of the organizations like YMCA, NAACP that even support communities of color and Black communities at large today. Yeah. And I think it's really important to talk about that in her role in her community and how mm -hmm. she was able to like gain significance, not just through her, like her hair care and her, her beauty, but also through the other work that she did. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of talking a little bit about her work in the beauty industry, I have heard Madam just being in the beauty industry, which I talk about often. Um, I've heard her name quite a lot. So I was really interested and I've, I've heard her skincare or her, I'm sorry, her hair care and her um, beauty line. And I was like interested in, in learning more about her. So I, um, like you enjoyed the Netflix series and then also enjoyed delving into her a little bit more. I wanted to share that with everyone because obviously, as we know, it's not always a full or accurate representation. Mm -hmm. Um, but she's really known for revolutionizing the black hair care industry through her invention of the Walker system. So this was kind of built out of personal necessity. And she noticed like a lot of scalp concerns. She had a scalp condition that caused a lot of her hair to fall out. So she wanted to take care of it. And once she kind of invented the system, she wanted to help other black women as well who were suffering from similar concerns. Like Ricky said, it's so important to have that representation because they were able to make a product that was helpful, just not for her, but for other black women. Um, and her products and her brand all together, which uh, also connect to her philanthropy and her social activism, they was it was built on this attention to health of those who use it. So again, like the health of the women and the health of the hair of the Black women, um, which was actively opposite of what other Black hair care products on the market were doing at the time, um, which is also connected to the fact that many of them were largely manufactured by white companies. This unfortunately continues to be a major concern is that we don't have women of color um, getting the right products that they need because the products are not being created by the people that use them. And so it's just, it's like a, a really horrible cycle. Um, mm -hmm. Also not thinking about like the products that are going into it. So I think that was the other thing with Madam CJ Walker. And we see a little bit of this on the Netflix series. Like she really paid attention to the ingredients that were going in the products, which is really important. Um, and then as her, as her brand grew, she implemented a direct-to-consumer approach by selling her products directly to women through a very personal approach, um, which, of course, built her loyal customer base. And then as her business grew, she employed what um, is called, like, quote-unquote, beauty culturists. And so these were a team of Black saleswomen, which benefited the workers as well as the clients. Um I wouldn't really think of this in the terms of like a modern MLM, like a multi-level marketing, but this was definitely a way for um, black women to um, work for themselves and kind of get, get on their feet. Um, so it was really, it was beneficial again, not only to her as a businesswoman, but she like looked out for the whole community. So it was beneficial to other black women. Um, 
And then she had a number of um, manufacturing plants around the country. And so um, I know she had at least two like in the Northeast and then, you know, she opened one up in the Midwest, I believe, but her, even though her original manufacturing plants have closed, the Madam CJ Walker brand still lives on. Um, In 2013, Sundial Brands, which is um, a company that owns, uh, it's the company that owns other popular hair care uh, brands like Shea Moisture. Um, Shea Moisture also has body care products, but um, in 2013, Sundial Brands purchased Madam CJ Walker Enterprises. And so her brand has continued to to stay on the shelves. Um, With that being said, it is important to note that um, upon some further dives, we realized that Sundial Brands is owned, the parent company of Sundial Brands. Um, which is very common in the beauty world. It's really, again, it kind of like speaks to the system and the cycle of like brands and how they're able to exist and thrive. And so oftentimes a smaller brand will get bought out by a bigger brand. And, you know, there's a couple of large conglomerates that own most of the brands that you, that you know of and use. And unfortunately that's kind of the way the system works. It's very difficult to exist outside of that. Um, And to just even, like I said, thrive and grow as a brand. So Sundial Brands, parent company is Unilever, which is very problematic because Unilever is a Dutch Dutch company. And, you know, one of the things that they're really well known for, um, or maybe well, not, not well known for, it depends on, I guess, like how much you're, you're knowing, like delving into the beauty world, but, um, they own products like fair and lovely. And so they're really, uh, gaining wealth from, um, well, Okay, so originally we'll go back a little bit. They were they gained wealth from the colonization of Nigeria, and they continue to promulgate and perpetuate um, these Eurocentric narratives of and really like stringent ideals of beauty that allow products like Fair and Lovely to thrive in various parts of Africa and South Asia. And um, we'll we also are planning on doing a colorism episode, so we'll we'll discuss some of these details and further. But um, it's really interesting to think about that and how like a brand, a parent company that is largely benefiting from continuing to keep post-colonial populations marginalized is also promoting and allowing the existence of like one of the like original black owned beauty brands to thrive and, and be on the market. That's a really um, contradictory dynamic for lack of better words. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you, Like I said, we're going to have a hair politics episode and I can go on a whole tangent. If you go into like the beauty supply store, not like I'm not talking about Sally Beauty. I'm talking to listen here. If you are in black hair care, you know, the beauty supply store I'm talking about, you know, I'm talking about if you go into that store, you think, oh, this is great. I have so many options. But then you start doing more research and you realize, especially as you go into looking more into black owned and and trying to be more sustainable or, you know, trying to be more aware of your purchases, you realize you don't have a lot of options because a lot of these companies, like you said, are owned by a bigger company, which is owned by a bigger company. You're like, okay, like you're sending this message of like black beauty and black love, but then you're not like analyzing your deep-rooted issues like it'll be the smaller company that'll speak out and send the message but then the larger Mm -hmm. company is mainly silent and I think it's important for us to discuss this in our capitalist mindset and in, in country in general and I think that a lot of like the input the impacts of colonization and the impacts of this white Eurocentric narrative being the the driving force of our country 
I think one of the results and impacts of this is respectability politics. And we see this a lot in the life of Madam C.J. Walker. And you see this a lot in the Netflix series. Like, I think that this is like talked about a lot as you know, we see her spoilers alerts for if you haven't seen it. I don't know if it's a spoiler, if it's like recounting the, the history of a person, but spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, um, she gets into like, a lot of fights with Addie um, and Addie is um, is the person who in the show is depicted like kind of like showed her about hair care and showed her about the beauty of hair and Addie is a, what what they call a mulatto so someone who is a mixed descent so back in back in the day either like the master rape rape the mom and you get someone of mulatto descent and I think that even there's the whole conversation about the um, Walker girl with her and her husband, CJ, and like him thinking of the Walker girl being someone who is fair skinned and who has a quote unquote good hair texture and who is respectable. And I think that the show is interesting because they have conversations about respectability while negating respectability. Because at the beginning mm -hmm. of the show, um, Madam, you, we see Sarah, she's like, before she comes Madam CJ Walker, she's trying to sell Addie's hair grow. She's like, if she, and she's pointing out to another black lady and she's like saying, if she looks respectable, then we all look respectable. So we see this evolution in the show, particularly of Madam CJ Walker, like going, like trying to be respectable to try to find her way. But then she also like, dismantles respectability politics and what it means to be black and beautiful black and beautiful doesn't mean that you have to be fair skinned doesn't mean that you have to have a looser curl pattern doesn't mean that you have to adhere doesn't mean that you have to be black but also closely aligned with western eurocentric narratives of what beauty is and i think i really appreciated that aspect of the show because it makes myself also question my own narratives of black beauty and what black beauty looks like it helps me be more personally inclusive to also even include myself in black beauty um as noted in like the mainstream um common trend quote-unquote of black beauty um and I think that also like I think the show did a pretty I think the show did a good job of like addressing certain like common narratives back then, because it also mentions the NACW, uh, which is the National Association of Colored Women. And it talks about that association. And like, we kind of see respectability politics play into game in that when there's the whole kitchen scene and Madam CJ Walker's like, I ain't staying in this kitchen. Like we need to have a voice, mm -hmm. like we're women. And I really appreciate it. These like argument I saw her evolution as becoming her own in 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 navigating away from what it deems to be respectable um we see this with her conversation with Booker T Washington like she's straight up and you know there was there was actually discussion on the article of whether this conversation or this encounter actually happened like it's true that they had kind of like ill like they didn't have they had like a a rocky relationship, Booker T and Madam C.J. Walker, but rather this specific conversation in the show happened is questioned. But I think them showing 
that happened really speaks balance with what it was like to be a Black woman, be a Black woman entrepreneur during this time period. And we see how like Booker T is trying to like, quote unquote, put her back in her place. But she's like, look, no, I don't have no place. My place is making money, making money moves and supporting Black women and Black hair. So I think that when it comes to respectability politics, as we said, this will continue to be a conversation. And I think that this show gives a good glimpse as to the kind of like the roots of how respectability politics continue to be a conversation for women of color and for black women, even still today. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think what you said is, is really poignant too, about the, the conversation with Booker T Washington. Like it's interesting that the show chose to focus on it that way. Um, but yeah, she was also, I just really love um, Octavia Spencer's like her, first of all, I just love Octavia Spencer. And then I feel like her acting was immaculate in this. Like she was so good. She, yeah, I think she was great. So I always have to like, I had to give a shout out to her, but um, I think it also like connects to misogyny, which the Netflix series like tends to focus on um, like, especially like with her husband's insecurities, but like, I think it's important to acknowledge her struggle and just her struggle with like respectability politics and, and like kind of making her way in the world. And like you said, Ricky with like about, you know, going from being the daughter of freed black slaves to being the first African-American woman millionaire. Like that's obviously like huge success stories and so important. And especially with the systemic injustices stacked against her, um, that's even more important to, to look at and analyze, and especially like just her role at, in society as a black woman and wife and what was expected of her and how she chose to dismantle those roles. And what's interesting is that she to- chose to dismantle those roles, but also like she chose to kind of make things harder for herself or maybe not chose, but like she, things were, were harder for her. And so she chose to help other women and make mm-hmm. things easier for her other black women in the black community. I think that is so important. Um, but there's so many instances of misogyny that are just like infuriating when I was watching the show, like her husband, how he betrays, you know, Sarah, madam, and goes, you know, for Addie, which, um, you know, again, like, I don't know how much truth there is to that or how much, but it's interesting that the show chose to focus on that. Cause it's like playing into these colorist narratives, um, and respectability politics with like Addie's, um, you know, being like a light skinned woman and all of that. Um, but I found it really really important that her, like that the show also chooses to focus on and her story really chooses, sorry, her story really focuses on female empowerment and like her support for her from her factory eventually came from the NACW. So other black women believed in her and supported her. And so I really appreciated this as well, because it like really shows the power of community. And this is also why, like on a side note, we say like small business Saturday and like all these fun little things like to support other small businesses and people in your community because one, it will like help to, you know, make little, little chips at dismantling this large, you know, capitalist systems that rule us, but also you really are supporting somebody else who's going to benefit the community. And so only Mm -hmm. within supporting one another, are we able to kind of build each other up and make, make a better community out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like support like when we say support, we don't always mean monetary. It could be following. It could be, you know, yes. spreading the word. Like support comes in different ways in monetary value. I mean, even what we do here in Gray Matters is two women of color. When we say support, we 
We mean in different aspects. It could be engaging on social media, visiting the website, support in different matters. Um, and I think that through a collective support, we can start to address kind of the internal binaries as women of color and as even in the black community that kind of can limit us. And we, we saw this on the show when towards the end, Madam CJ Walker addresses Addie and, you know, there's these there's these whole speculations on the show of like if Madam C.J. Walker stole Addie's like recipe and all of this stuff and none of that has been found to be completely completely factual um but I appreciate it on the show how Madam C.J. Walker addresses Addie and is like look we're fighting over this little thing when we could be like we could come together and address the the problem like the bigger problem as a whole and I think that that speaks to um, colorism, which we've had an episode about colorism in the past in season one. If you want to listen to it, please feel free to go back and listen to it. We talk about colorism within our own personal experience and our own communities. Um, but I think colorism, like combat, like combating colorism within our community comes from support of each other, comes from having these conversations. And I think that it's important to discuss. And I think the Netflix series did a good sh- good job at discussing colorism and kind of like talking about it in relation to Madam C.J. Walker and her being a darker skinned woman and she's up against lighter skinned women. And, you know, Addie says a bunch of times, lighter skinned women, like we are what Black women want to be. And, um, and like, we are the epitome of beauty and Madam CJ Walker deals with, we see her and deal with that and eventually come to a level to where she's like, look, my black is beautiful too. And I think, um, yeah, yeah, there's a direct quote Addie mentions, colored women will do anything to look like me. And there's also the, um, also the fact that Addie's, I mean, not Addie, that Madam CJ Walker's husband, CJ Walker himself, like he, cheats on her with like Dora who is a light-skinned woman and I, and actually on the article itself which I'll link to it talks about how that was actually true but mm-hmm. also he cheated on a woman before Dora so Dora was actually the second person he cheated with and he was cheating with somebody else too way before oh maybe this. he doesn't sorry maybe he doesn't I said he cheated on her with Addie I think I think I was thinking Dora I don't remember yeah, yeah. if he, I think somebody, oh, it's, it's the, the daughter's husband that like conspires with Addie yeah, yeah. at one point. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah, error. I, I'll fix that. But um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So he cheats on, which in a sense, I guess it kind of links him back to Addie because Dora ends up stealing all of her. So Dora ends up using her connection to the husband in Addie to work against Madam C.J. Walker and steals all of Madam C.J. Walker's top sales agents, which sets her back. So there's this whole like fact that her husband, like her husband, like actually like contributes to the conspiracy against Madam C.J. Walker as a di- darker skinned woman against all of these lighter skinned, more fair skinned women. It's kind of like this ancient old narrative within the black community, like light skin versus dark skin. And I think it's interesting that the show kind of goes into this dialogue, but it also like goes into the pressures of Addie being a light skin herself. And the fact that there's a scene where she's talking to her mom and her mom is like, look, I might've been cursed by you because like the master rapes me, but at least you have good hair and light skin so you can do whatever you want. So there's this 
kind of internal conflict of Addie herself being a light-skinned woman and feeling like, oh, I can only make it through life because I'm light-skinned and because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm quote-unquote beautiful. And I think that it's like this it's like this double-edged sword against light skin and dark skin because as a light-skinned woman, like you feel like restrained and restricted to only being Eurocentric value of beauty. And as a dark-skinned woman, you feel like no one appreciates like who you are as a woman because all they see is like, you're not beautiful. You have this darker skin com- complexion compared to what is beautiful. And I feel like, it's all, like we said, it's all a tool of white supremacy. It's all a tool of colonization to kind of split communities and, com- and complete and complete this over-generational divide, which was their overarching goal. And I think that, like you said before, it, it's this overall connection to colonization and bleaching. And even now in our, 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 even now in a lot of our cultures now, we have this continuous like want and need to be lighter and to have a you know a wavier hair texture and to conform to these Eurocentric narratives of beauty and it's not beneficial to those who meet the Eurocentric narrative of beauty and those who don't so it's just it's like on both sides of the spectrum Mm -hmm. no one wins but white Eurocentric dominant culture right white white supremacy wins unfortunately which (laughs) one for white supremacy yeah like another point unfortunate like overarching concern throughout Mm -hmm. throughout everything not just Mm -hmm. our podcast I was about to say throughout our podcast but literally throughout everything throughout Um, life (laughs) yeah throughout life um we also found it interesting that like so looking at the Netflix versus um like the other depiction or um narrations of of Madam C.J. Walker's life like so the Netflix series chooses to focus on like an LGBTQIA aspect with uh, Madam C.J. Walker Walker's daughter, um, Aaliyah, being presented as a bisexual person. Um, and so um, the, largely this is considered like a show invention. Um, so the text on her own ground makes no mention of Leah being um, uh, interested in women. So it's true that um, Aaliyah never had kids, but she... Um, also did uh, marry three men during her lifetime um, and self-made shows only shows um, John Robinson, one of the men. Um, but it, it's just interesting how like they chose to focus on that as like a, a particular storyline in it. I don't know if they were doing that for representation or maybe they were like, you know, kind of maybe giving into another narrative or a storyline that they had heard about her daughter um, yeah. and her like, so it's just, it's interesting that, that they, they chose, they chose that. And like, we discussed a little bit more about like John Robertson too, with like his role with Addie and um, like colluding with Addie and accidentally setting Sarah's home on fire. Um, but apparently those are all also fabricated. So, because very little is, is known about or written about Robinson. So it's interesting that they chose to include those things in um, this story. So that also could also connect to respectability politics and the way that black men are often um, represented, even in shows about black people. Um, But also there is some truth to the fact that the Manhattan townhouse that um, Elia inherited from Sarah or Madam became a salon for members of the Harlem Renaissance in the 1920s. So I found that really interesting. Um, and, and an important note in kind of thinking about the continuation of Madam C.J. Walker's work and influence on the community and how that impacted like 
the continuation of black power and black thought. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also like, like, I don't know, it is interesting. Sometimes, you know, and we've had this tangent before, you know, making sure we don't be inclusive as a checklist, if that makes sense, or, you know, making sure we don't just like go down a checklist and like, okay, we have that or, or, Mm -hmm. you know, go on this trending topic checklist, because I thought it was interesting that they mentioned, or they, um, they framed her as being bisexual in the, um, in the show, when in reality, there's only mentions of her being like, into like the life or, or the, into like the life of like Harlem and like, you know, being into like that kind of like um, different narrative for black people or like what we now would call a queer space or into like the peculiarity of like being away from the South and and being away from the narrative of like, this is a black person in the South and being more into like, like we said, the Harlem Renaissance area era and like, the the music and the the artistry and like the different culture that the Harlem Renaissance introduced for Black people that that was that that was actually factual and so I just found it interesting that Netflix did decide to take kind of like the bisexual narrative when it wasn't part of the the like the factual part of her life as we right. know of yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, I was just going to say also like um, her daughter largely continued her legacy. And Mm -hmm. I think that the inclusion of the narrative that was chosen in the Netflix series, Self Made, it kind of didn't really allude to the continuation of that legacy. Like Mm -hmm. to a certain extent, yes, like in her maybe like larger philanthropic work, you can make like a connection or like maybe, you know, her instilling like the, the um, importance of like black community. But yeah, it's really interesting because once you read about her life, her daughter continued a lot of her work, but we don't see that in the Netflix series. So I always find those choices interesting too, like the storyline choices, especially when it's based off of the life of somebody. And I, I almost want to say when I watch it and maybe you remember, cause I know you rewatched it after me, Ricky, but it's like, um, there, I believe there was a disclaimer about like the accuracy of some of the events, which mm-hmm. is fine. Like, I think those disclaimers are important, but I don't know, as like a history buff, like they're kind of frustrating too. Cause I'm like, well, why can't like the original story is really interesting. Just stick to that. <laughs> like just yeah, the yeah. real narratives. Yeah. And I kind of think that this story also framed Alilia as like someone who wasn't interested in a company and just wanted to like party. And then like, yeah, finally she becomes interested. And I think that that also kind of, I don't know, I, why do I always do this? I was like, there's some stereotyping going into this, but I'm not gonna, not gonna focus on that. But I, I think that, yeah, I think the choices of of how great women who have accomplished a lot like Madam C.J. Walker are represented and kind of these remakes of their life is important. And while we know that it is astronomically like amazing that she has a Netflix series, I think that when it comes to the future of representation for these women that us being able to critique and kind of see the strengths and the weaknesses throughout the series will go forth with better representation in the future. And I think that it will speak towards the um, 
the necessity also for who's behind the screens, who's in charge, who's that on a, not just a creator, but on a, on a larger platform, on a larger scale, who's at the seat of the table, because Mm -hmm. like we said before, that speaks to kind of the framework, like the fact that even sometimes her husband's narrative was centered. I was like, I don't care about him right now. He get on my nerves. Like, can we get back to madam? Yeah. Like, I don't care about his complex. Can we just get back to madam, please? Like he's having a whole little, masculinity being shot down like fit. yeah like he's having his old crisis and I'm like I'm sorry your do- your wife is building an empire like can you can I'm you, sorry can you can't away the handle for that a moment? like yeah. can we get back to the main story so like even glimpses of that like sometimes I'm like oh this is annoying can we can we fast forward I want to get back to madam like what she's doing so I feel like um and even the like the John added with Lilia I mean I'm like if that didn't happen here we go like recentering like the masculine like the masculine tell like that that didn't Mm -hmm. need to be happening um and I get it like they're trying to widen their audience whatever whatever but I think that the fact that that has to be used to widen their audience speaks volumes and I think that it speaks volumes to the future of representation as a whole for sure for sure I yeah I really appreciated like what Netflix did and especially because I hear about this a lot in the beauty space that um, this introduced Madam CJ Walker and like the, the black hair care world and the necessity mm-hmm. for black hair care made by black women, um, and, and black people in, in, at large. So like black hair care for black people made by black people, like just that this series opened up, um, that conversation for a lot of people. So I think that it, it accomplished some really important things, but I agree with you. I think that it's, it is problematic and telling that, you know, series often have to, uh, series like TV shows and movies, entertainment media, I should say in general, um, kind of feels the need to delve into and give into like stereotypes and tropes in order to fulfill some of those, those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, that of course is problematic, but we really enjoy delving into the life of Madam CJ Walker. We hope you did as well. Um, if you have used her products, let us know if you learned something, we always love to hear feedback as well, especially on these herstories, because, we always want to know if other people are also interested in like these people and these stories, or if you have a suggestion or somebody that you want us to delve into, um, please let us know, send us an email or um, definitely engage with us on our Instagram where we will have a post about this. When we post this on Wednesday um, on Wednesdays, we always have a post with all of our um, episode releases. So engage with that post as well. Share it, especially if you know somebody, um, if you, you know, are teaching more black history and education and black histories um, to children. And you want us to make more like customized content for children um, or for a certain age group, let us know. We definitely do that as well. So yeah, we hope you enjoy this as much as we did. Um, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. We appreciate your support. You can continue to show your support by giving the podcast five stars and by following us on our website, graymatterstheblog.com. That's gray with an A and on Instagram, as well as sharing and commenting on our posts on at graymatterstheblog. We want to connect with our Gray Matters community. That's you, our listeners. So if you have a comment or inquiry about customizable trainings and workshops, email us at graymatterstheblog at gmail.com. Stay safe, everyone, and we will chat with you next week.